Okay, well, Philippians 4, 8 and 9, if you haven't turned there already, go ahead and do so now. My, my message this week is intended to be shorter for the sake of officer ordination uh, and installation and communion, actually, that we'll be doing all of that um, uh, here in, uh, in person. We'll be ordaining, by the way, Elliot Hunter as a deacon and installing four elders who are returning to session. So they've already been ordained as elders, but uh, are either rotating back uh, on session this year uh, consecutively or those coming back on. So um, Al Semino, David Hartness, Duke Lineberry, and Phil Stump are those elders that will be installed for uh, a three-year term starting today. So we'll be doing that in the service. And so um, I've, in, I've intended with that in view, I've planned for a, a shorter message. We'll see if I actually pull that off. I actually don't have to uh, with you all online. And uh, so I, I have a little bit of uh, more latitude there. But if it, uh, if it feels a little short, it is so by design. But I want to talk this morning on the subject of good thinking and good practice. Good thinking and good practice. And uh, it's from Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9. Uh, let's look there together now. I invite you, if you wish, to stand just out of a special reverence to the Word of God. Listen to the Word of the Lord. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise... Think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Well, Lord, we thank you as always for your word. And we acknowledge that it can become familiar enough to us as Bible-believing people that we begin to handle it casually and carelessly and fail to be awed by what's in it and what you draw out of it for us. So Lord, would you quicken our spirits today, stir us up, make us awake and alert and attentive to your voice, knowing that you're able to speak to all the needs of every hearer in the sound of my voice. And I ask that you would do that very thing and minister in very personal ways. And so, Lord, would you speak your word by your spirit, through your servant, to your people, for your glory and our good always. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated if you're standing. Well, as I said earlier, we are resuming... Um, our resuming the very end of a series on Philippians. Uh, I had hoped to get through with that back before Thanksgiving and uh, just sort of on purpose decided to uh, break chapter four out into a few sermons because it's really so immensely practical. And I just wanted to be sure we gave every opportunity to do justice um, to each one of these passages. And, uh, you know, the last one we looked at dealt with verses four through seven. You see right uh, just above that where he said, rejoice, uh, let your reasonableness be known to all people. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray and, and let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 
we do those things, we have the assurance that the peace of God is with us. And these two verses here at the end of it, it says, do these things and the God of peace will be with you. You'll have the peace of God. You'll have the God of peace. Well, John Milton uh, wrote that a mind is its own place and itself can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. The mind is its own place. It can make a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. It can make uh, the truth into lies, uh, make the truth sound like a lie, that is. The mind can make uh, a lie sound like the truth. The mind can make good things bad and bad things good. And the mind can, in other words, create a world of our own imagination. And then our heart will dwell in that world. And uh, that can be, in some ways, a wonderful place, but it can also be a terrible place, depending on the kind of world that we've uh, made for our hearts to inhabit. And this past year has really proved that point. As our minds have been um, uh, drawn to a lot of different places and a lot of different directions and tacks, many of us have found ourselves setting our minds upon bad news a lot of the time and dwelling on it and being changed by it. And maybe we're less conscious of the change that's happening to us than we are the fact that we've really set our minds upon the bad news. But you find yourself agitated and angry and anxious. You find you're beginning to lose hope because you assume the worst about the circumstances. And you've just sort of talked yourself privately into this place of despair and lowness. And in a whole variety of ways, you discover you've, you've sort of drifted off into habits of moral impurity, crude speech, and a lifestyle that's just undignified and unholy. Some of that has happened to people because of disruptions to our routines and that kind of thing. We spent a lot more time at home, a lot, a lot less productive time at different times throughout the year and fallen into um, bad habits. And, and again, some of those accompanied by moral impurity and crudity and all that kind of thing, crudeness. But fortunately, as I said earlier, the new year invites us to new beginnings. We just, we just somehow get to press reset and decide we're going to make a new start, um, even though obviously the the you know the the real in real life the the calendar has just rolled over from one day to the next or whatever. We get though to make new beginnings out of it in the way that we think and li live. And these two verses in Philippians really offer some profound and practical help in doing just that. Um, and so I want to just look quickly at the fact that. Uh, living in communion with God, uh, with the God of peace being with us. Living in communion with God requires good thinking and good practice. And if you followed along in the text, you see exactly where I got those headings and that title. But first, the good thinking, and this is really from verse 8. The, these six virtues that he mentions here uh, really come right out of Greek culture, Greek philosophy. I mean, a direct export. These are, these are Greek concepts, not even otherwise New Testament concepts. And yet uh, Paul says there's 
there, there is something true and good in here, and so uh, it reveals something to us about God. As a matter of fact, there's an echo, I would say, in these six virtues of what's been called the three transcendentals. That word itself is not so important, but those, those three are truth, goodness, and beauty. And sometimes, of course, referred to as the true, the good, and the beautiful. And I'll refer to both in the course of this message today. But you see, the first of those six is uh, to think on things that are true, that is, the truth. Uh, things that are honorable, just, and pure would, would sort of correspond with goodness. And then uh, the things that are lovely and commendable are beautiful. Those things that are worthy of our love or, love or admiration and so forth. So for the sake of clarity and brevity today, I, I want to actually summarize uh, and discuss these, these six virtues that, that he mentions in verse 8 under the heading of these, uh, these three transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty. They're transcendentals because they exist outside the boundaries of time and space and culture and so forth. They transcend those things. In other words, so they're, they're, they're universal regardless of what time in history you've lived in, what culture you, you're a part of or whatever. They're, it's just transcendent uh, truth. They exist um, everywhere and at all times. And they are transcendent in that way. They are universally uh, true and good and beautiful because God in himself is truth, and he is goodness, and he is beauty. Now, th uh, that means uh, God doesn't simply declare that some things are good and some things are bad as if just arbitrarily he's, get, he's God, he gets, to, he gets to declare it. And so, you know, uh, as if he could say something totally random um, like, you know, red cars are good and black cars are bad, or, or brown eyes are good and blue eyes are uh, evil, and you know, blonde hair is good and, uh, and brown hair is evil, or something like that. Um, the, the, the Bible never presents God as arbitrary in that way. He doesn't just declare that some things are good and some things are evil, but rather, God is good. And He's the standard of goodness. So, Things in this world that are consistent with his character are good. And things in this world that are inconsistent with his character are bad. And part of what that means is that there is such a thing as objective truth. And there is such a thing as objective goodness. And yes, there is such a thing as objective beauty. That one actually gets, uh, if not controversial, certainly highly debatable as people often think about beauty as being uh, subjective. And there are certainly uh, personal uh, perspectives on that that um, influence our own regard for those things. But be because of what the Bible tells us about God, uh, the Christian has to have a category in their thinking for objective truth and goodness and beauty. In fact, I read Psalm 27 verse 4 at the opening of the service for a reason because it says I'll flip back there um, 
One thing I've asked and will seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. There is something uh, inherently, inseparably beautiful about the Lord that in his very nature is beauty. And so there has to be something that's objectively beautiful. And so, and so Paul's actually pointing to that very, that very sort of thing, even though there are six virtues here listed rather than the three I've, I've uh, headed them under. These were concepts in Greek culture, not uh, firstly or primarily in, in Christian culture, but what Paul is, Paul is pressing them into Christian service, if you will, because they're true regardless of the fact that they've been discovered by pagan culture. The Bible tells us that there is certain truth about the nature and character of God that he's revealed in creation and in the, and in the human conscience. These would be among them. So, so Paul is saying that to think on these things and be in pursuit of those things brings you near to God. To meditate upon and pursue uh, truth and goodness and beauty uh, leads you in an approach to God himself. And so the Christian is to believe what's true, to choose the good, and to love the beautiful or adore the beautiful. So that's good thinking that he tells us here. These things, if there's anything excellent and anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Again, I might say parenthetically, that itself would be a good little devotional message for many of us right now um, who's, who, who have formed the habit of thinking negatively. And that's been an easy habit to form this past year with all the volleys of hostility and that kind of thing. Uh, but it's real easy to default to negative thinking and complaining and so forth. And uh, that last phrase itself would be a great little devotional takeaway from, for us. If there's anything excellent, and if there's anything worthy of praise, can you think of anything? Okay, think on those things. What's good and true and beautiful. So that's good thinking. The second thing he points us to here is good practice that what 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 walk with God uh, requires or, or communion with God requires is good practice verse 9 says what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me practice these things practice these things other other translations say uh, put into practice these things, or, uh, or simply these things do. Um, I believe in the King James and New King James it says. In other words, the general message here really in the text is simply put into practice the things that you're thinking on, number one, and the things that Paul says you've, you've heard, uh, learned, and, and received that you've heard and seen in me. Uh, imitate me once again in that respect, and, and you put it into practice as well. You do what it is that you've meditated upon and observed. But there really is something, uh, I think, additionally helpful and really uh, practical and right on point in the more common meaning that the word practice 
has to us. The way we use the word and think about practice uh, would often be things like practicing your scales on the piano or practicing your golf swing or practicing your free throws or dribbling, whatever it may be, whatever skill it is that you're wanting to develop, whatever uh, interest you pursue, it involves practice. And there's something helpful in that connotation of the word here. And I think, again, entirely relevant because verse nine is really almost something like your piano teacher might say to you in, in essence. In other words, what you've learned and received, if you, if you took music lessons, I can think about piano lessons. I started playing piano before I, before I took up percussion in, in, uh, you know, in middle school and, and on from there, but uh, taking those, those private lessons at the end of a lesson, essentially the message from the teacher is, okay, what you've, what you've learned and received, that is what I've taught you and explained to you, and what you've heard and seen in me. I've, I've told you how to do it, and then I've shown you how to do it, and you've heard me play it. Uh, now practice these things. That was really how every, every piano lesson went. Uh, we went, and I did what I had practiced or was uh, supposed to have practiced from the last week, and, uh, and then there would be something new, perhaps, that the teacher would add to that, and it might be there, there was always some practice involving scales or technique. Um, it was kind of the boring stuff, you know. But there, there was always some element of that. Uh, and she would explain it and she would demonstrate it and then say, go practice it. That's, that's really exactly what Paul says in verse 9. What, you've, what you have uh, learned and received, what you've heard and seen in me, practice these things. Good practice involves doing good things well over and over and over again until we form good habits. Of course, there is such thing as bad practice <laughs> or you can practice good things poorly uh, and it's at least as bad as not having practiced at all because you actually form bad habits instead of good ones. But good practice involves doing good things well over and over and over again until we form good habits. When, when uh, my wife, uh, Monica, and I were discussing this verse, she, she pointed out that generally we need to practice things that we're not good at. We, we generally need practice in the areas we not, we're not good at or the things we just haven't developed uh, yet at all. Of course, we never stop needing practice. And you know, again, that's true if you play a musical instrument, if you play a sport or whatever. If you cease to practice, you will lose some of that uh, skill and agility and accuracy and, and all those kinds of things. We never stop needing practice, even in the most fundamental things. But you understand the point that the things we don't do well or the things we don't do just naturally that aren't, that aren't second nature to us yet um, are the things that we, ha we haven't formed good habits of doing. We may have tried to do them and have formed bad habits. That, that's uh, true with a lot of golfers. <laughs> I never played a lot of golf, but I do know, um, 
you know, the golf swing is kind of peculiar if you've ever tried to swing anything else, whether you've been taught or not taught. If you just picked up uh, an, an, an a baseball bat or a tennis racket and swung it, or you picked up a um, fly swatter <laughs> or a hatchet, if you've ever swung anything, you have not swung it like you swing a golf club properly. And so a lot of people uh, will form really bad habits with a, with a golf swing, and there's practice that has to undo bad habits and form good ones in its place. Um, but it's, it's practicing the things that we're not good at, and so that means we have to be very intentional about our practice, very thoughtful about it. You have to be more conscious. If you're learning that new scale for the first time on the piano or the violin or something like that, and you've never done it before, every note you have to think about more consciously and every finger placement you have to think about more consciously and be more intentional about it. Um, and at first, we probably don't enjoy doing it either because it's hard and it doesn't sound good and it's not natural and we want to go back to doing something we're, we're good at and that comes a little bit more naturally. But that's what practice entails, is intentionally, thoughtfully doing well over and over and over again the thing that we're not yet good at, the thing we don't have good habits doing until we form good habits. It means, in relationship to uh, verse 8, it means choosing to pursue things that are true and good and beautiful. We're told in verse 8 to think on those things. In verse 9, to practice those things, to pursue what's true and good and beautiful. So what do we do then in order to develop good thinking and good practice uh, in those ways? Well, number one, we need to shut off, so to speak, the flow of, uh, of things that are false and bad and ugly. One of the reasons I said I wanted to, to, to sort of talk about this under the heading of, of uh, just those three transcendentals, truth and good, goodness and beauty, because it's, it's just easier to keep three in our head rather than six um, and it's easier to contrast because this is actually, to me, really a really helpful um, way of thinking about this whole passage, that this opposite, the opposite of truth, goodness, and beauty is falsehood, badness, and ugliness. And so, so the first thing we need to do, it's real practical, isn't it? But we need to shut off the flow of uh, things that are false, bad, and ugly. This is like if a water pipe bursts in your house, or God forbid, a sewer line. <laughs> uh, but you, you, need to, you need to shut off the water, like out at the street or something first, before you try to clean up the mess, before you try to do any kind of repair. You need to shut off the flow of, the, of the, uh, the, either the wrong stuff coming in or the stuff coming into the wrong place. And that's how it goes with things that are false and bad and ugly. We need to shut off the flow of them. And secondly, we need to take in a steady flow of things that are true and good and beautiful. This is so immensely practical that we're, we're apt to miss the profundity of it. It, it is actually very, very profound and significant uh, in our walk as believers. 
But, but first is shut off, shut off the flow of the false, bad, and ugly things. Your, your mind is going to be occupied with something. There's no such thing as thinking of nothing. Even though, ladies, I know your husband says that sometimes. Honey, what are you thinking? Nothing. Uh, we, we're capable of being real close to that. We're certainly capable of thinking of nothing worth talking about, uh, nothing of, of great significance or what have you. But the mind will be occupied with something. And if you put it in neutral, it's going to gravitate toward uh, the faults, the bad, and the ugly. Give it enough time, and that's where it will gravitate to. Um, it's just part of our fallen nature. Your thoughts then will become the meditation of your heart, and your meditations will become your actions. That's actually true, whether it's good or bad things that you're meditating on. But if, you're, if you just don't give attention to your thought life, if you don't mind your mind, so to speak, pay attention to your thinking, it'll gravitate toward uh, bad things, ugliness, lies, and will become habituated to them. Because what happens is, you know, it, the, if, if God's character is the standard of truth and goodness and beauty, uh, we might picture that as being pure white and its opposite as being black, or that in him is light, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all, the scripture says. And the very opposite of that is just utter darkness where there's no light at all. Well, you know the world we live in and the life we live and who we even are is somewhere in between those two. We're at best a real dingy off-white, right? If not just shades of gray or dimness. Um, and so there are things that we, uh, we will pursue and think about because there's some goodness in them, but they're less... Uh, they're, they're, they're lesser goods than God himself. There's some truth in them, but there's an admixture of lies in them. Uh, there's something beautiful, and yet there's a mixture of ugliness. That's probably true of a lot of the entertainment that we take in, for example. But we, we, we pursue those things, think on those things, practice those things, and actually become habituated to uh, to some degree of lies and badness and ugliness. And most of us consume a lot of mental junk food. If we're talking about uh, uh, thinking on good things, we have to, and we're trying to shut off the bad things, we have to recognize that we, we consume a lot of mental junk food. Uh, I think you know what I mean by that, but just like it's not, it maybe not uh, be, it may not be poison. Although we, we, we may consume some toxins as well mentally. But we just, we sort of, we snack on junk food uh, mentally the way we do, uh, you know, in, in reality. We, the way we do actually. You know, we're, we're sort of bored and don't have something else to do. There's food out in the counter. There's food in the cabinet. And we just go, keep, we keep going by and reaching and grabbing another handful of chips or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. We do a lot of that mentally, and we need to turn it off. Uh, what might that include? I mean, what's the, what, what is the, 
the, what are the sources of input into your mind that are false and bad and ugly? It might be some of the television you watch or that I watch. It might be Netflix, YouTube, uh, whatever the sources of video entertainment are, because that's real passive. It doesn't require much effort from us, right? Even intellectual effort, and we, and we can just relax and be uh, amused by it. Um, that, that word itself would be worth uh, looking up and exploring it as without thinking almost. <laughs> we're, we're just entertained by it. Uh, social media and other apps on your phone are another source of sort of mental junk food. And we might not think of it, a lot of it may not be overtly um, bad and ugly, so to speak. But we do a lot of unhealthy snacking on our, on our phones, those who use those a lot. Um, because when we're not doing something else actively, it's easy just to default to scrolling on social media, opening some other kind of app or whatever. Uh, some of it may be just in itself harmless. Um, plenty of it may be, we, it may expose us to uh, just lots of ugliness. And so, so what does it mean for you then to turn off the flow of that? Uh, for some of those things. For, for others, it might be an excessive consumption of news media. It, because it's actually, um, in some cases, a source of lies, at least partially, if not in whole. Uh, it, it is certainly, in some ways, a source of bad and ugly. And so an overconsumption of that gets us... Um, mentally practiced in or, or, or exercising sort of our thoughts uh, in the wrong direction. So we need to stop the flow of those things. That's real, real practical stuff. But all of that junk, uh, maybe, maybe one of the things you think about starting into this year is what am I just going to turn off? And then, of course, you've got to substitute it with something. As I said, the mind's going to do something. And by the way, you don't have to be actively taken in junk for your mind to have junk ready to retrieve for you. It's a shame that this is true, but again, it's part of our fallen nature. It's sort of like, um, you know, the, the, the junk stays readily accessible indefinitely. The good stuff you put in there, it's like that gets filed in the storage vault locked away, you know, after a real short time. You go to, you go to sort of half-heartedly retrieve good thoughts in your head, and they're not there unless you're putting them in uh, steadily. The bad stuff seems always to be there. And so we need to fill our mind with things that are true and good and beautiful. That just necessarily means a steady intake of the Scriptures. You know that without me telling you that, um, mo probably most of you who are listening to this do, you know that that's true, that you need that steady uh, intake of the scriptures. You also know it's true that we go through our own cycles and patterns of failing to do that uh, with any regularity. But he's revealed himself there, right? And he's revealed uh, because he reveals his own character and because he expressly says in other ways, he tells us some things about what's true and good and beautiful. And if we are to think God's thoughts after him 
And if we're expecting to find him at the end of the pursuit of that, or in the pursuit of those things, rather, um, then we have to know what he says about him in the scripture. So there's got to be there's got to be a steady intake of the scriptures if we're going to fill our mind with what's true and good and beautiful. Uh, the second thing is you, you may want to replace some of your watching, quote unquote, whatever whatever it is that you watch. But you may want to replace some of your watching with reading, other reading besides the Bible. In other words, now I know some of you are like, there's no chance you're not a reader. Um, and, and you've never formed that habit, and that's just not something um, you do. I would, I would encourage you to challenge yourself with that because there has to be some substitute. If you're going to shut off the flow of the, uh, of the ugly and, the, and the, the bad and the false, you know, what are you going to substitute it with? So besides the Bible, that may be uh, reading some just quality literature that stood the test of times. I, I joke sometimes about stuff that's written by dead people, but, but I'm really, I'm, I'm actually being serious. Uh, you know, the dead are the better, I say sometimes, but the, if, if there's stuff that's still in circulation from somebody who's, who's lived hundreds of years ago, it's still in circulation because it is good. And it has itself said something that transcends time and even cultures. So read some literature that stood the test of time. You can start with, you can find something short <laughs> to start with or something that's easier. Uh, it, and, and in all seriousness, there may be adults who, um, who, who need to read some good, timeless, quality children's literature to start with because that's, that, that's what can keep your attention and uh, comprehension or what, ha what have you well enough. Um, but you might also read things like articles that instruct or encourage you in the, in the faith. Um, that would be good substitutes for some of the mindless, uh, amusing uh, watching that we do of video entertainment. And the third, spend some time gazing upon and admiring beautiful things. Th this, is, this is so different to us. We don't talk about beauty much as being at all a spiritual thing. I think that's, it's very much in, in my understanding of this related to what Paul says when he talks about that that's lovely and commendable. What is it that's lovable? What, if it, what is it that's worthy of admiration? There's beauty in that. And, uh, and so that might mean gazing upon a sunset or other natural beauty, taking the scenic route somewhere and just noticing what's beautiful. You know, that's a healthy little exercise in its own right because of just to slow you down um, and, to, and to pay attention to just the world that you've been deposited in, that God created and so forth. Um, that's worthy of doing for itself. But, but a sunset or some other aspect of natural beauty, uh, taking some time to actually look at and admire beautiful art, beautiful architecture. Again, those things that, are, that have, have proved to be regarded as beautiful down through the centuries that have stood the test of time and to really admire what it is about them um, that's beautiful. Fill your mind with things uh, that are true 
honorable, uh, commendable, lovely, um, right and just, pure things, in other words, that are true and good and beautiful. And as you think on those things and as you practice those things, the God of peace will be with you. Well, there's a connection too, of course, I'll say, uh, uh, again, having told you that we'll be installing officers, there is a connection to that ceremony that we'll be observing in our morning service because Paul himself uh, says what you've learned or what you've heard and seen in me, practice these things. We've considered before uh, from earlier in Philippians, he, he lays out that model of an imitate me sort of model of discipleship. Do what I do. And that really is what our elders, spiritual leaders in the church um, are really supposed to aspire to and to, and, to, and to be themselves at a place where they're dignified and honorable. It says that explicitly about requirements for church leaders. Um, that they lead their own household well, for example, but they, they have done things that are worthy of imitation. So we need to be, those of us who lead in the church, need to be the first to think about what's true and good and beautiful, to shut out of our intake valve, so to speak, things that are false and bad and ugly. And we need to be the first among those to practice such things uh, that there is something, a model worthy of imitation of those in the congregation. Well, let's pray together. Uh, Father, thank you indeed for profound and practical truth to start the new year and to make new beginnings of our own. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd reveal to each of us the ways in which we very often litter our, our minds uh, with stuff that is at best useless and at worst spiritually toxic to us and makes us increasingly toxic to other people. Lord, would you bring us to a place of honesty about that? Show us practical measures that we can take uh, just in order to mind our minds and think and practice things that are true and good and beautiful. Lead us even now as we respond by your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.